love. We want to experience the love of God, and uh, he readily makes that available. As we're going to see uh, in our message today, as we talk about growth and the importance of growing as we uh, head into a new year, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus grew. Luke 2.52 is kind of our theme verse for kicking off this winter uh, season. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with people. Uh, the voice uh, says, Jesus kept on growing. And if we, if we grow, we have to keep on growing. You know, it's bad if we stop growing, right? Not healthy for us, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally. So we want to keep on growing, and we have to have a plan to grow. Growth doesn't happen uh, on its own. Growth doesn't happen typically without effort. Uh, there, there's effort involved uh, uh, and uh, God's grace is not a, opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Uh, we can't earn anything by our effort, but by the grace of God, we're able to grow and to invest ourselves as Jesus did. He grew in four different uh, spheres of life, if you will. Number one, Jesus grew in wisdom. One of the areas that we all want to grow uh, in, this year because of the challenges that face us in life is to grow in wisdom. So we want to think about what is my plan to grow mentally, to grow emotionally, to grow financially. These are areas that almost all of us, I would suspect, uh, need wisdom. And fortunately, God tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask God who gives us generously and he'll provide what we need. The Bible tells us to be careful how you think, that your life is shaped by your thoughts. And a lot of times we just kind of uh, stumble and mumble and bumble through life without thinking very carefully about uh, what we're doing. And we need to grow. We need to be careful how we think and have our hearts and minds shaped by the Word of God as we go into a new year. Uh, sometimes we look for a big grand gesture that's going to change things in our lives. Uh, often it's the simple daily habits that we uh, build into our lives that end up having the most growth over a season of time. What are you going to do to grow mentally and emotionally uh, with financial wisdom this year? Then number two, Jesus grew in stature. Uh, and so the question for us is, what's my plan to grow physically this year? Wonderful little book that uh, has been an encouragement to me and stimulus to me in, in growing physically is a book called Eat, Move, Sleep. Three basic activities that are necessary for us to both grow physically but also to flourish physically, and some of those end up being a challenge for us. Uh, some of us don't move enough. Some of us don't sleep enough. Uh, some of us don't eat in a healthy enough manner. So what is my plan this year to grow physically? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. That phrase is going to be echoed by Paul's friend, uh, John, the elder, uh, as we'll see in our message later, uh, the Holy Spirit is in you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit uh, who is in you, whom you have received from God. So you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. How will I grow physically this year? What are the adjustments that I need to make to become a healthier person physically this year. Number three, Jesus grew in favor with God. So what is my plan to grow spiritually this year? 
Peter tells us, 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace. Grow in God's grace and become better acquainted with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can get to know people better with some effort. If we're interested, we can get to know God better. James tells us, draw near to God, God will draw near to you. God doesn't kind of force himself into our lives uh, like an obnoxious friend or co-worker or neighbor. He is gracious and he knocks. He asks to be invited in. He doesn't force his way into our lives. But we can take steps to become better acquainted with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're, you're here in God's uh, presence today. You're here to study the, the Word of God along with the people of God and to be built up for the, and, and equipped for the life of God and to live out the work of God. So I commend you. There's nothing better you could be doing. Unfortunately, the, the uh, sports community in our country uh, uh, obliges, so there's nothing good on television, no good games on today till later in the afternoon. That's, what I'm, I'm, that's my position. I'm just holding to that. We'll see. Uh, but you're here because you want to grow. I'm here because I want to grow. And so we're together, and we're going to encourage each other to grow as uh, Pastor Brandon, who did a fantastic job, I understand, last week. I was uh, feeling some uh, flu symptoms uh, late in the week, and so I asked him to fill in. I know he did a great job. And I got his notes from Sherry and was blessed to see the encouragement from uh, Hebrews about what we can do to be in God's presence and to be together uh, as God's people. Number four, Jesus grew in favor with people, in favor with people. So what is my plan to grow relationally this year? And uh, Pastor Brandon's uh, key encouragement was to give B groups a try. Uh, if you're not in a B group, we'd like to invite you in. If you would like to uh, launch a B group and either host it in your home or be a facilitator in someone else's home or to kind of help uh, facilitate the group uh, and the process of that, uh, of just encouraging people, uh, let Pastor Brandon know we need new groups, new places for people to connect. I'm very excited about, and please uh, pray for our membership class uh, that's coming up this Wednesday. We're hoping that to see our, our church grow. Uh, times of growth are things that bring great encouragement to our lives. So we're hoping that uh, we have a good group out that are interested in, in bringing to us the gifts that God has given to them, but also to connect with us to receive that hope and that encouragement. When we go through difficult times, that's when we really learn the significance and the value of having a church family, a place to connect, and a place for us also to connect with others. What's my plan to grow relationally this year? In Matthew, Jesus told us that when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there among you. All I want is to grow within your love, to have that touch of heaven, that experience of God. We want to grow, and that involves our direct relationship with God, but there's a, another direction that will help us to feel connected with God, and that's that growing relationally with people. So if you'll open the notes, uh, we have uh, just one passage of Scripture, actually two chapters, two sections of chapters of First John. John the Elder, uh, John was uh, pretty advanced in age, we know from some of the things that he writes. He, one of his uh, favorite uh, expressions for speaking to us is, uh, you know, dear children, my dear children, my beloved children, 
dear friends, beloved of God, uh, and he's going to help us know how to grow in favor with God. And uh, the first thing we reflect on or we think about as we think about love and Bethany exists to love, why should we love? Write down letter A, why should we love? Why is it important? Why does it matter? Well, we should love, I think, first because we are loved. Number one, write down, we are loved. John asks us or tells us, see what great love the Father not has given to us. What great love the Father has lavished on us. See what enormous love. Look, he says, look. John's often saying look or reminding us to look in the book of Revelation. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and he will open the scrolls. And I looked and on the throne I saw a lamb. John is always asking us to look in his gospel, the first chapter of the gospel of John. People are invited to come and see Come and meet the one that I have encountered. He's going to change your life. And here in 1 John 3, he starts off by saying, see what great love our Father has lavished on us. How much love? So much love that the likes of you and I should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. We are loved. We are beloved children of the Most High God. If we are gripped by the reality of how deeply we're loved, we can get through almost anything that we're going through. And we can transform the life of the people around us as well. Why should we love? We should love because we are loved, because God loved us first. Number two, we should love because we're called to love. We are called to love like our Father loves We have been called children of God. And verse 10 tells us that this is how we know who the children of God are. We can recognize who the children of God are. There are distinctive marks of being a child of God. We can know who the children of God are, and we can know who the children of the devil are. Right? There's a difference in how we live. Those who do not do what is right, fairly simple, those who do not do what is right are not God's children nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. We're called to love like our Father loves. He has invested his love in us. He's called us his children. But he has a way that he wants us to live. He has a lifestyle that lets people know that we are connected to our Father. We're supposed to be a a, a chip off the old block, if you will. Uh, When I was young, I didn't like to have people tell me, you look like your dad, you know, for whatever reason, you know, at that age, you, you want to kind of be your own person, so that bothered me. As I get older, I don't mind being compared to my dad. My dad loved the Word of God, served the, the people of God, so I don't mind having that family resemblance. Uh, you and I are to have a family resemblance. It's important. This is how we know who the children of God are. Those who don't do what's right, they're not God's children. Those who don't love their brothers and sisters, they aren't God's children. God invites us to love, to, to seek the good of other people. doesn't mean we 
look at every person and we fall in love romantically in, in uh, uh, America, in the United States, in the West. Uh, romantic love is about the only kind of love that is celebrated or encouraged, but we're called to, to put the needs of other people, to elevate those and to care about those, to seek good on behalf of other people. You don't even have to like people to do what's best for them, to do what's good for them, to do what's right for them. It's not talking about our emotions. It's talking about our choices, our actions, our behavior. Number three, we're called to love like our Father commands. I wrote that, but then I looked back and looked at the passage. I had to add commands and enables. He both commands us to love, but he, he enables us to love. He strengthens us so that we're able to love. For this is the message, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning we should love one another. Now, John is uh, possibly in his 90s. He's uh, pretty old when he's writing this. But when he says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, he, uh, when you hear the words from the beginning, you think of uh, at least one beginning, uh, a verse that starts in the beginning, right? We think of book of Genesis and the beginning of all things, the beginning of, of human creation. The message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. And you think, well, I don't remember anybody being told love one another in Genesis 1 or 2 or 3. But then he immediately reminds us of what took place in the beginning. In verse 12, he says, don't be like Cain. So we go back to the first brother and sister. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. We're supposed to look like our father, but Cain, it says, belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother in cold blood. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. God's telling us an important message. And from the beginning, we're told to live in a way where we Look out for the needs of other people. Not like Cain, who had a brother and because he didn't do what was right, murdered his brother out of that kind of jealousy and hatred that he had. But there's another place where we could look to say uh, the message that you've heard from the beginning, and that's the beginning of, uh, of in John's perspective, of our common life together with Jesus. In Jesus, Jesus told us, he gave us, uh, he says in his gospel, a new command I give you, love one another. And he goes on to say this in verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. We know that we have a spiritual pulse, if you will, right? We, we can tell that we're alive spiritually because God has enabled us to love. He has given us a pulse. He has breathed through his spirit, his breath into our lungs. We have passed from death to life, and we know it because we love one another. Sometimes we go through life and we feel maybe a little dead inside. We feel a little lifeless as we go through our days. That's a time we need to ask God to, to breathe by his spirit, his new life, into our lungs, our spiritual lungs again, to help us go from death to life, to enable us to love. Our Father commands us to love, but I love the fact that he enables us to love. 
I love the fact also that in 1 John, John, before he commands us to love, he shows us how deeply loved we are in that first verse. See, look, look what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. We're called to love because we're called to life. Anyone who does not love, he says, remains in death. If we don't love other people, we'll, we'll be death givers to them in our relationships. But if we don't love other people, we'll also be experiencing and, and uh, going through death personally because we're breathing out death and we're going to be breathing in death. Paul talks about people who don't know God. He said they were without God and without hope in the world. Then he goes on and says this description of them, hating and being hated. That's a bad day. That's a bad life. Hating and being hated. That reciprocity, Paul says, I don't want that for you. And John says, I don't want that for you. I want you to experience the life of God coursing through your veins, uh, pumping through your lungs. And it happens when we love one another. In, In fact, if we don't love, we remain in death. And anyone who hates a fellow believer is a murderer like Cain. And you know that no murderers have eternal life in them. God has filled us with his life to enable us to love. Number four, the fourth reason why we should love, because we are loved, because we're called to love like our Father loves, because we're called to love like our Father commands and enables, and because, number four, We're called to love like our Savior modeled. This is what Jesus lived out. Verse 16. John wants us to be clear about what he's teaching. And he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So for John, love is cruciform. Love is cross-shaped. Many churches, many cathedrals as you go uh, maybe into, Egypt, uh, into uh, Europe or uh, into other places in the United States, uh, kind of traditional cathedrals uh, often would be actually constructed in the shape of a cross. The National Cathedral in Washington, uh, D.C. Is a, is a very impressive building, a beautiful building with beautiful uh, stained glass all, all around it, but it's in the shape of a, uh, of a cross if we can kind of look from the top down. We enter through the front, we come, and then there's kind of side naves or, you know, little side rooms over uh, on the side, and then it continues on. So if you look from the top down, it's cross-shaped, and that's to, to sort of visually remind us that our lives are to be cross-shaped. The cross of Jesus, the love of Jesus. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for another. We ought to lay down our lives for one another. I've thought about this first a lot, and I think about it, and I think sometimes I think when we look at that verse, we get confused because we look at what Jesus did at the cross, offering his life, and then we ask ourselves kind of hypothetical questions. Well, well, who would I die for? Who would I go to the cross for? Uh, and we maybe aim too high. 
we aim for something grand, and it was grand, and something glorious, and it was glorious. Jesus said, Father, glorify your son. Now your son is going to be glorified. But I think sometimes we can scale down just how we're thinking about it, because it'd be very easy for us to look around the room and say, I would die for every person in this room. And then we have to ask ourselves, how would you know if that's true or not? What would have to happen for that to be demonstrated to be true? Something bad would have to happen, as happens, uh, even, in our, uh, even in our nation, right? Places of worship, churches, synagogues, mosques, uh, where people, uh, during times of prayer even, people will come in and commit heinous acts. Uh, now, if that happened, we'd be able to tell well, you know what, Pastor Doug said he'd lay down his life for us, and look, he, he actually did. He, oh, I don't look forward to that kind of happening. But it's also somewhat hypothetical. Again, it isn't entirely hypothetical because it happens all too often. But that's kind of the extreme of life. What if we kind of took that perspective of the cross-shaped love of Jesus and thought about each other and thought, well, what is it that we could do for one another in a real and a practical way on a, on a daily basis? In small ways that communicated this is something that's important to the other person. So uh, I'm married. My wife thinks it's important to have the bed made in the morning. Uh, sometimes if she leaves before me, she'll make the bed and I'm kind of still in it. So that's kind of uncomfortable. But, you know, she, she really wants that. So I'll get, when I get up, I think... This is wasting my time in two different ways. One, i got to stop right now to make it. And then two, I have to then unpeel it, you know, later to get back in in the day. So I don't feel as great of a value at making the bed. But I, not because of any particular romantic feelings, but because my wife wants me to make the bed as sort of an act just of obedience, not to her, but to our Lord of submission to her, encouragement to her, I try to make the bed in the morning because it's important to her. It's not important to me. It's important to her. And I think love sometimes isn't the big grandiose, listen, I would die for you, which is impossible to verify. And if you do it, you can only do it one time as a human being, right? But the small death, the small deaths to pick up your cross, Jesus told us, how often? Daily, pick up your cross daily and be a follower of me. I think we need to think about what our Savior modeled, which is taking the needs of other people seriously and putting their needs, meeting their needs as more important than our own. As one illustration of that, he says in verse 17, if any one of you has material possessions, well, most of us do. I look around the room, most of us are clothed. We've had a place to stay. We've maybe had something to eat uh, already uh, today or this week. But we see a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them. Our hearts are not moved by their struggle. Our, heart, our, our hearts are not moved by their wounds or by their griefs. Uh, when they weep, we don't weep. That's, a, that's what a, being a body of Christ is about. When one rejoices, Everyone rejoices. 
And when one weeps, everyone weeps. If we don't have pity on people who are in need, how can the love of God be in you? The love of God was in Jesus. It was so obvious by what he did. And so he says in a very real and practical way that love means having really good eyesight, really good focus, not on ourselves, not uh, driven to introversion and preoccupation with our own wants and needs and desires, but really good vision to sense the needs of other people, to look for the needs of other people, to have pity on other people, to allow our hearts to be moved. That, that Greek word splenkna talks about our, our internal, our guts, literally, our intestines, that area of our heart. And there's a verb that comes from it, splenknizomai. Practice that. You can impress your friends, right? And that's when our hearts get, get moved with compassion. Jesus' heart was moved with compassion because he saw someone in his school class who was struggling to understand a concept. And so that affected him emotionally, and he determined to do something about that, to step alongside them. Or he saw someone who had a need, and he says, I want to help them get something. That motivated people to start our food pantry here at uh, Bethany, to look at people who are struggling just to find uh, food and to to address that need. John says, dear children, a typical way that he would address uh, his flock here, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions. And in truth, in reality. Is he saying, don't ever tell somebody that you love them? No, he's saying, don't, don't just love them. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You, you can't imagine how deeply I love every one of you. That's it, easy to say. But he says, love with actions. Love in truth. Love in reality. Love in everyday life, he's saying. Make love your aim. Why should we love? Four reasons he gives us. How can I love is letter B. That's the second question. How can I love? It's easy to say that we should love, but often we think of our lives and we maybe look at other people and we struggle. It's like the saying that people have about forgiveness. Uh, Forgiveness is a wonderful idea until you have someone to forgive. (laughs) Isn't that true? It's a great idea until you have someone to forgive. Loving others is a wonderful ideal until you have some other person that you are called to love who lives with you or near you or by you or around you or maybe doesn't even like you or maybe even uh, is uh, unkind and cruel who maybe even late on a Saturday night while you're trying to work on a message comes and puts flamingos all over your lawn. I meant to get a picture, but I didn't. It was too dark at night to get a picture of the flock of flamingos. And now apparently I have to pay to get them removed as well. It's a nasty business, this, but it's wonderful we get to invest in our, in our students. Uh, I saw a group of four, four students between services uh, at our first Sunday in the new year uh, two weeks back. And uh, four of our, our high school girls now who have come through our junior high ministry and now in our high school ministry, they said, what are you excited about for the new year? And they were like, I'm not sure. One said, I'm, I've got softball season starting. And then one of them said, oh, winter trip. And they all brightened up. said, yeah, winter trip. They were excited about that. So I'm happy about that because what we're doing uh, is uh, the kids are having fun, number one. Uh, but secondly, it 
gives us an opportunity to invest in blessing other people. Now, don't say anything, but he went back to his office, and he's also checking on our students. Pastor Brandon went. But it's the first moment, I, this is how much I love Pastor Brandon. The first moment I heard about flocking, I took a 20 out of my wallet, and I handed it to Ray Potter and said, Pastor Brandon's house in Fontana needs some aviation. So it hasn't happened yet that I'm aware of. Uh, so be praying that that is a wonderful blessing to Pastor Brandon. Uh, it's easy to say, let's love until we have someone to love. Letter B is, how can we love? And I love the fact that number five here, we are enabled to love as Jesus lives in us. See, sometimes we look at people and think, God, you, you, you want me to love them? We look at maybe another, even a person in the, in the body of Christ, and we say, God, I don't, I don't feel a lot of love for that person. Maybe they've said something about me that isn't kind. Maybe they've uh, uh, talked to somebody else about me in a way that wasn't gracious. How am I supposed to love them? Well, we're enabled to love as Jesus lives in us. John says this, this is how we know. You know how many times he says this? I want you to, to be aware of this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Pastor Brandon last week talked about Hebrews and how we can come boldly into the very presence of God himself. How can we be at rest in the presence of God? He says, if our hearts condemn us, and we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence then before God in the presence of God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands, because we do what pleases him. And let's talk about his commands. This is his command. What does God want us to do? It's not overly complicated. He says, this is his command, verse 23, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, God saves. Christ, the spirit-anointed king. Jesus, the anointed one. Believe in his name and to love one another as he commanded us. See, John was a follower of Jesus, and when Jesus was asked about the Bible, they didn't have Bibles to carry around, but if they did, they would have carried around what we could call the, the Old Testament. But sometimes we don't use that phrase because it sounds like it's something that's uh, uh, past its prime. But the Old, in the sense of being the First Testament, are the Hebrew Scriptures, and it's basically three-quarters of our English Bible, that was the scriptures. And Jesus was asked on several occasions, uh, that's a lot to read, Jesus. Can you just give me the basics? Can you just kind of break it down? Can you give me, when I was younger, we had something called cliff notes, which if the teacher assigned you to read a novel and you didn't want to read a novel, you could read a cliff notes, which would give you a summary of the novel with none of the joy of actually reading the novel itself. Now there are things called spark notes, and then there's this wonderful thing called the internet that has all kinds of information. So if you don't do your homework, you can cram at the last minute and get information that, that hasn't actually processed through your system. So you're not growing, but at least you're getting through the class, which is all that matters, is getting through the class, right? Uh, and no, John wants us to know what's going on. 
This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus, and to love one another as he commanded us. What does God want? Well, Jesus, when he summarized the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, said what? What's the greatest command in the law? He says, love. Love, and love has two parts, right? This one command is love. Love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your physical resources, your physical, your body and your finances, with everything you've got. And the second, just like it's love, love your neighbor as yourself. His follower John says, here's what God wants you to do, to believe in the name of his son, to love the Lord your God, and to love one another. Love God and love people. That's life. And he goes on, verse 24, those who keep his commands live in him. They live in him and he in them. Jesus lives in us who believe. Jesus lives in us who believe. This is the first time this is expressed. Four more times, John's going to have an expression similar to this. Those who keep his commands live in him. You want to circle this phrase, live in him and he in them. How can I love? I'm not a very loving person. Maybe in my life I haven't received a lot of love from my perception. Maybe I'm a little fuzzy as to whether my mother or my father actually loved me or my family actually loved me or my friends actually loved me. How can I possibly love other people? Well, number one, you, you recognize how deeply God loves you. Look what enormous love the Father has lavished on you. But then realize Jesus lives in you and you live in Jesus. Those who keep his commands live in him and he in them. How can we tell? This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that God gave us. Now, becoming a follower of Jesus and welcoming Jesus into your heart and life and asking him to to have you as his son or daughter and his family, it's not something we do simply because of emotions, but emotions can be present. And the Spirit of God, over time, we can tell that we're part of the family of God because God's Spirit will speak to us. He'll remind us. He'll encourage us. When we have questions, God breathes his Spirit into our heart. The love of God has been poured out, Paul says in Romans 5. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. So we're enabled to love because Jesus lives in us and we live in Jesus. That becomes the air that we breathe as we go through everyday life. Number six, we're enabled to love as we get to know God. As we get to know God, we're enabled to love. What does he mean by that? Well, the next chapter, 1 John 4, he tells us, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. Love is who God is. Love is the source of, uh, of, uh, the, the source of love is God himself. As we get to know him, love becomes a <clears throat> part of, his li- of our lives as well. We begin to pick up those family traits. Everyone who loves has been born of God as a child of God and knows God. But knowing God isn't a a one-time experience. I'll never forget when I was seven years old and I got to know God. 
So now I know God, and that's the end of that story. Now, knowing someone is an ongoing experience. It's an ongoing, interactive, dynamic, face-to-face, person-to-person relationship. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not even know God because God is love. Love is who God is. Love is what flows from God. And verse 9, love is what God does. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God loved us so much he sent his one and only son into the world. Did he come to die on the cross? He did, but he came John tells us to remind us it's more than that. He came so that you and I might live through Jesus. We're called to get to know God because he's the source of all love. Because love is really who God is. Because love is what God does. He demonstrates his love. And this is love, he says. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son the second time, he tells us. In two verses, right? He sent his son as a sign of his love, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, dear friends, beloved children, little ones, he says, since God loved us like this, since God so loved us, this is John writing, right? Can you think of anywhere else in John's writings where he says, God so loved us? Right? John 3.16, right? Look, friends, since God loved us in this way by sending his son, we ought also to love one another. And then he says something that is, I remember kind of reading this high school and college age and being kind of shocked and not being clear on entirely what it meant. But I think it, what we, what, how we understand it is, is vital. Now, no one has ever seen God a number of places in Scripture it says this. No one has ever seen God. God doesn't make himself visibly known to us because it would be overwhelming to our senses because we would have no choice but to obey, but we'd be obeying solely out of fear and not out of love and relationship. And he wants us to relate to us as our friend. No one has ever seen God, he says. But if we love one another, God lives in us And his love is made complete in us. Think about what this is saying, because this is pretty mind-boggling. John himself in his gospel, in John 1, says, the word became flesh and lived among us, moved into our neighborhood, and we beheld his glory. No one has ever seen God, he said there, but Jesus, the one and only son, who is the closest of all people to the Father's heart, he has made him known. He has, a Greek word is the word we get our word exegesis from. He has explained to us who God is. Now John says no one has ever seen God, but the focus is on you and I, not on God's son Jesus, although that's our motivation. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Think about it like this. If you go to a 
uh, your neighborhood and you feel like our neighborhood just is not a very loving place. Every day, every day, remind yourself, pray and ask God, God, I believe that you live in me and I believe that you can love through me. So I pray that you would begin to see greater love in my neighborhood than I have. If you're struggling in your marriage, you can say, God, I don't feel a lot of love in my marriage, but I believe that you live in us, and I believe that your love can flow through us. I pray that your love would be made complete in us. If you go to a church and you don't feel it's very loving, you can pray. God, I believe you live in us. I pray that your love would flow through us so it would be made complete because people can't see God, but they can see us. And God designed things that way to see his love reflected in our hearts and our faces, our hands, our arms, our hearts. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made completeness. If we get to know God, we're enabled to love. Number seven, we're enabled to love as we keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 13, this is how we know that here it is the third time. God lives in us. And he, uh, we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his Spirit. Romans 5, again, 1 through 5. We have seen and, believe, and testified that the Father has given his Son has sent his son as an act of love to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, then God lives in them and they in God. And so we can know, we can be confident, we can be assured, and we can rely on, and boy, do we rely on the love that God has for us. If we're struggling to love, we can say, God, fill me in a new and fresh way with your Holy Spirit. Every first Sunday of every month at Bethany, for me, for the last 30 years, we've celebrated the Lord's table together. And we ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit because this is the blood of my new covenant. As we take that cup, the blood of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit of God available to us. We'll finish real quickly here. How can we love number Uh, Eight, we're enabled to love as we live in God. This phrase we've seen at least five times and and maybe, maybe six. Up in verse 24, when we keep his commands, we live in him and he lives in us. And this is how we know that he lives in us. He sent his one and only son, verse nine, that we might live through him. No one has ever seen God, verse 12 we just saw, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. In verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. If we acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in us and us in God. And now we're enabled to live as we live in God and God lives in us. God is love. He repeats a second time. God is love. It's his name. It's his identity. It's his character. So whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us. That's how love moves into the neighborhood. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. What does that mean? In this world we're called to live a cross-shaped life. To take up our cross every day and follow Jesus. 
and there's no fear in love, this perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. How can we love? One last question. Well, can't we just, let her see, can't we just love God without loving others? Couldn't we just avoid the middleman, as we say, right? Can't we just love God without loving others? Number nine. The problem is if we don't love others, it's impossible to love God. If we don't love others, it's impossible to love God. Here's how John puts it. We love because he first loved us. Our love is an indication of our response to God's love for us, of God's initiative. I love the fact, no pun intended, I love the fact that God doesn't ask us to do something that he's not willing to do first. He takes the initiative. That's called grace. Before we loved him, he loves us. We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God, and yet we hate a brother or sister, we're liars. We don't really love God. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love one another. This is the second time he reminds us that God can't be seen. The first time he says it, up in verse 12, is it? Uh, He says uh, that God can't be seen, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love flows through us to other people. And and here he says, uh, we can't see God, but if we love our fellow believers that we can see, that demonstrates our love for God that we can't see. Can't we just love God without loving others? No, if we don't love others, it's impossible to love God. Living God, we pause and we just say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for asking us to open our eyes and see how, how profoundly and deeply you have lavished your love on us. How you've shown us your love by willingly, Jesus, coming to die on the cross. By, Father, sending your one and only Son as the payment for our sins. And how you want us to live in you and you are willing to live in us to enable us to love by the power of your Holy Spirit. By the living presence of the Father. By the gracious life of Jesus himself. Help us to reflect your love Help us to live in love. Help us to get to know you more deeply. Help us to grow in our loving relationship with God and with others. We ask in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all God's beloved children said, amen, amen.